Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, yes, and welcome. Wonderful to be with you this afternoon on Judaism 101.9. Great to be together on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon here in the Highfield. Seems to me like uh, spring is on the, on the way with this uh, warmer weather and hopefully two um, brighter and better days uh, that should lie ahead for all of us. But as you know, uh, from time to time, we like to just look back a little bit in Jewish history and think about things that pertain to this time and these days. And um, today is an exceptionally powerful day. Today is the day of Rosh Chodesh. It is Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av. It is Rosh Chodesh Av. The month of Av has just arrived and is upon us. And of course, we'll talk soon about what that means to us in a practical sense. But it is an anniversary of uh, dramatic proportions if we are to go back in Jewish history. And let's think about what was happening in Jewish history 3,294 years ago today. Interestingly enough, this date is specifically mentioned as the day of the Yorzeit of Aaron Kohen. Aaron, remember, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, had his brother Aaron who accompanied him and did everything that was needed from him along the way in order to bring about the exodus um, from Egypt. And then in addition to that, Aaron was appointed as the high priest, the one who was going to be the head of the holiness within the Jewish people. And one of the reasons that he was appointed to that position is because he had this natural and intrinsic and absolute love for everybody. He was known as the one who loved everybody. In fact, sometimes we're told loving everybody to the extent that he did could work to one's detriment. As we see, when uh, the golden calf was made, Aaron was so loved and so accommodating and so easy to uh, get along with everybody, it isn't always regarded as the best attribute for a strong and dynamic leader. But Aaron Akohen, the great lover of all, everybody loved him and he loved everybody. And in fact, when he passes on, Torah records that the entire Jewish people, everybody mourned for him for 30 days. Imagine that. There was nobody who he didn't get along with, everybody. And when it says everybody, it means everybody. Everybody mourned for Aaron Akohen. Now, today was his yard site. If we're going to go back 3,294 years, we're going to be viewing the Jewish people in a state of shock, in a state of mourning. Aaron was 123 years old when he passed away. We could say, well, he was advanced in years. Um, the, but, the, but he meant so much to the Jewish people that they couldn't imagine life without him. And therefore, today marks this um, incredibly powerful day because it is connected with Aaron Cohen, but a day tinged with the sadness that goes all those years back at the loss of this great power, of this great and incredible um, bonding force that existed within the Jewish people, that everybody realized what it really meant to love your fellow man as yourself. Arona Kohen typified that. But in addition to that, there is something perhaps a little bit deeper 
and that is that Aaron Cohen was the first high priest. And in a way, this date then became, let's call it tarnished, or it became influenced. There was some kind of an influence on this day for a bit of a disconnect between ourselves and our holiness, or ourselves and the Beit HaMikdash, the temple. And in fact, that all came to fruition much, much later on in Jewish history. That this day kind of had the seeds, the, uh, it was, it was blemished with that kind of a feeling of disconnect, of moving a little bit away from the things that were near and dear to us from a holy point of view. However, on the day of a Yorotzeit, on the day of the passing, and particularly the day of the passing of a tzaddik, not only is there an influence from that tzaddik, from that righteous person, to all of us in a stronger way, but as we know, when we think about the passing of an individual, we think about the fact that the neshama, the soul of that individual on high, is elevated. It is their spiritual birth date into the next world. And therefore, as the soul ascends, as the soul goes ever higher, and as it celebrates the uh, fruition of everything that it stood for down here on earth, surely there has to be some kind of a strong connection to all the things that that tzaddik, that that righteous person stood for on the particular date of their passing. And of course, when it comes to Arana Kohen, there, that is no exception. Today is a day on which we need to think about Arona Kohen and not only think about him, but put into practice all the things that he stood for. If he was this great and incredibly powerful and acknowledged lover of all, surely we too need to subscribe to that. Arona Kohen gave us that gift, not only of his example, but he embedded each and every one of us even now, 3,294 years later, he embedded within each and every one of us the ability to love our fellow man just as we love ourselves, which was the mantra. It was the uh, modus operandi. It was the very way that Aaron Cohen, that Aaron, conducted himself. And this then was an attribute of being priestly. This was an attribute of being holy. We often use that word holiness and we think about it in terms of being all sort of spiritual and uh, warm and fuzzy and getting close to Shammayim, getting close to God. Well, here is a recipe for holiness. One of the greatest recipes for holiness is to love your fellow man and to love your fellow man as you love yourself. And it was Aaron Akohen, it was Aaron, the high priest, who stood for just that. He gave it to us, he taught it to us, and right now, today, on his yard site, we have the ability, the ability to tap into that and to emulate that kind of an example. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So if we jump about a thousand years uh, forward in Jewish history um, and we go to the year or, or we go back 2,368 years. Remember, with the passing of Aaron Akon was 3,294 years ago. But if we go back 2,368 years ago, something else dramatic was happening in the history of the Jewish people and the history of Israel. Now, this was Ezra's arrival in Israel, which happened in the year 348 before the Common Era. So what had happened was uh, the Jews had been exiled to Babylon, 
And uh, then Ezra and his colleagues and entourage set out on an arduous journey that they made from Babylon, and they arrived in the land of Israel in order to be near the newly rebuilt second Beit HaMikdash, the second temple in Jerusalem. It was a relatively small number of people who came together with Ezra, um, the majority of uh, Jews, including great Torah scholars, however, chose to remain in Babylon due to the harsh, harsh conditions that were actually then prevailing in the Holy Land, in Israel itself. So, while we've got the passing of Aaron, we actually have this date marked as being the day on which there was some form of return. Remember Ezra, the great Ezra, the Sofer, Ezra the scribe, who was the leader of the Jewish people at the time, he brought people back to Israel on this date, going back all those thousands of years. And therefore, the idea of the, let's call it the ambivalence of the date, number one, the fact that it marks the passing of Arunach Kohen, and we explained that before, but now the concept of the return to Israel is also, and we dare not forget, is also embedded in this date as well. We have a fascinating um, a description of this date in the Talmud. The Talmud tells us that Mishenichnas av memaatim besimcha. It is on this date that we actually need to diminish in joy. Now, of course, it all depends on where you put the comma in that sentence. Do we diminish, but yet need to do it in joy? A little bit more about that later. But usually taken to mean, of course, that we need to diminish our joyfulness. We have already been, up until now, for the last 10 days, we've already been in what is known as the three weeks. We have been in the first part of the three weeks, which isn't as intense as the second part. And today we go into that second part, known as the nine days, when in effect it is nine and a half days. It is until after Tisha B'Av. But today we are starting the nine days, leading up from Rosh Chodesh, which is today, until Tisha B'Av, which will be tomorrow a week. And then, of course, into the 10th of Av, Friday a week, where um, the temple remained in ruins and remained burning. And so it is commemorated right up until um, the 10th of Av. But we usually talk about the nine days. These nine days are nine days of more intense mourning. The difficulties that befell our uh, Jewish people in those days gone by, and particularly in the time of the destruction of the Botei Mingdash of the temples, it was much more intense during these latter nine days, and therefore we observe many more stringencies in these last days in our way of mourning, and in order to keep with what our sages taught us, that from the beginning of this month, from Rosh Chodesh, Mishenichnas of when the month of Av comes in, we diminish in joy. How do we do this and what actually applies? Well, we're already in the, in the, 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 the beginning of the nine days. We have already started it. It began last night at, uh, at nightfall, at sunset. And these are the things that we need to bear in mind and to keep to as far as possible during these nine days. Number one, 
and most famously, we do not eat meat or drink wine during this period except for Shabbat when we may eat meat and drink wine. And by the way, meat includes poultry. It includes meat byproducts. And we stay away from eating meat and drinking wine. And this does not mean all alcoholic beverages. It is wine and wine byproducts that we stay away from. And the reason is that during this period, the sacrifices and the wine libations, which were uh, present in the Beit HaMikdash, in the temple, they ceased, they stopped. And therefore, during this period, it would seem very um, insensitive of us and uh, really um, uh, take away from a, a, a feeling of identifying with what went on um, in the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash and the destruction of the temple and the uh, facts and the terrible, terrible suffering that led up to it and of course the suffering that was thereafter were we to at this time sit down have a meat meal and drink wine it's almost as though we're scoffing at the fact that these things became obsolete, they were uh, taken away from us and we could no longer uh, do that anymore of course, if there is a bris that takes place, or a bar mitzvah, or some uh, use this as a time to complete the tractate of Talmud, a tractate of Talmud, many would permit the eating of drink uh, of, of of meat and wine for such occasions as well. But in the normal sense of it, we stay away from meat and wine for the duration of this period, as I mentioned, with the exception of Shabbat. Number two. We're not allowed to launder clothing. And this is all clothing, even if it would be, would not be worn during the nine days. And we should avoid wearing freshly laundered outer clothing. Now, of course, we're living at a time of a pandemic and we're living at a time where people are very, very conscious of hygiene and so on. But we're not here talking about that. We're talking about the fact that one gets a certain sense of joy at putting on freshly laundered, freshly pressed clothing. And uh, therefore, it became the custom that we stay away from uh, this during these nine days as a sign of additional mourning. Now, that doesn't mean you have to walk around and be dirty, so to speak, but we do something to take away from the joy of putting on that crisply pressed shirt or jacket or a pair of pants and so on. And uh, many do this by well, it's a little bit late for this one, but uh, many do this by trying on the clothing and wearing it for a short while uh, before the advent of the nine days. If you haven't done that, there are others who say, well, we could drop it on the floor, um, stand on it or walk over it um, momentarily. And that would accomplish the same thing, take away from the idea of it being uh, fresh and clean and crisp and giving us that sense of um, how down we are meant to feel at this time, how mournful we're meant to feel at this time for the nine days. We're not allowed to swim or bathe for pleasure. Now, here, swimming and bathing, um, don't know how many people are going to do laps in their pool in this kind of weather, but um, we don't swim or bathe for pleasure. Of course, swimming or bathing because it is absolutely uh, necessary. So if, uh, for argument's sake, uh, someone uh, needed physiotherapy in a pool, um, that would probably be permitted. Once again, you would consult with your own uh, rabbi. And bathing, if one is soiled, um, and many people 
um, in especially hot climates. We're lucky in this part of the world that it's much cooler at uh, this time of uh, the year. And when it comes to these nine days, we're in a cooler climate. So these things are not as difficult as perhaps they would be to keep in the hot summer of the northern hemisphere at the moment. Uh, but bathing for pleasure. We avoid at this time uh, the need to actually wash and clean oneself um, still applies. We're not allowed to remodel or expand a home. This would be the wrong time to uh, start with home renovations. This would be the wrong time to uh, start with your uh, uh, building of your uh, dream house and so on. Uh, not that it would be possible during this period of time at all, but um, one would not get involved in that. And uh, moving into a new house and so on would be viewed very much in the same light. One should not plant trees to be used for shade or fragrance as opposed to fruit trees. So if you're a farmer and you need to plant your fruit trees, well, go ahead. But planting trees that would be used for shade or for fragrance, uh, we would avoid at this time as well for these nine days. We, When it comes to buying, sewing or weaving or knitting new clothing, even if they'll be worn only after the nine days, we are not allowed to do that either. And the only exceptions to this rule are if you would miss a major sale or the garment will be unavailable later. Or secondly, for the purpose of a mitzvah, such as purchasing new clothing, for instance, for a bride and groom who may be getting married uh, right after the nine days, which they're permitted to do. Um, we would make that exception as well, because this is something that you're purchasing for a mitzvah. During the week of Tisha B'Av, so in other words, that's from uh, Shabbat onwards, we should not cut nails. In other words, starting from Saturday night from after Shabbos until the conclusion of the nine days, until the following Friday, we should avoid cutting nails, um, as well as the fact that we are already in the midst of a time when we do not cut hair and when we stay away from uh, those senses of grooming and, and keeping ourselves pristine and, of course, the pleasure that comes with that. When it comes to Kiddush Levana, the sanctification of the moon, this is not done during the nine days. It is postponed until after Tisha B'Av. And while there is no law, actually, that forbids traveling during this time, it is customary to refrain from traveling during these days unless it's absolutely necessary. And finally, one may become engaged to get married during this period, but no celebration should be held until after Tisha B'Av. So those are some of the restrictions that apply during this time. And it's interesting to note that um, we've actually been in a period that we have come to know as lockdown, and uh, whether it is stage five or four or three, um, we have been in a restrictive kind of an environment. And in a way, it almost feels like, uh, not deja vu, but it's almost similar to the kind of things that we have been asked to do at this time, if we think about it. Well, um, governments around the world and here as well didn't allow until quite recently um, uh, weddings to take place, didn't allow uh, religious services to take place, and we were restricted in our movements, and we were not allowed to travel from place to place. Isn't it amazing that we have similar things which are not a uh, only there in order to protect us and in order to make sure that we don't, God forbid, spread um, heinous uh, diseases and uh, terrible viruses and so on, but that in fact we are sensitive 
to um, the uh, underlying uh, reasons behind all of these things from a spiritual point of view because all of those things promote joy. And here we are trying to diminish in joy, and this is our way of doing this, of showing it. And, of course, the listening to music, um, live entertainment, public entertainment, and so on, are also avoided uh, during this period of time. Now, in the midst of this all, we have the upcoming Shabbat, which is known as Shabbat Chazon. Shabbat Chazon. Not Shabbat Chazan, but Shabbat Chazon. When we talk about Chazon, Chazon means vision. What we're really speaking about is the vision of Yeshayahu, Isaiah's vision. The vision of Isaiah. And the reason that we speak about it is because on this coming Shabbat, it is the Shabbos on which we read the first segment, the first part of the book of Deuteronomy. Yes, believe it or not, we're already up to the beginning of Dvarim, of the book of Deuteronomy, which was Moses' swan, swan song to the Jewish people. So we're commemorating the passing of Aaron, our today. But Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses here, was preparing for his own uh, uh, departure from the Jewish people, and he started the repetition of the Torah to a new generation. This was repeating the Torah and telling the generation that was going to occupy Israel um, what they needed to know from a spiritual point of view for their arrival in Israel, all the laws that needed to be repeated and told to them because they had not necessarily heard them firsthand or seen them firsthand at uh, Mount Sinai as their uh, predecessors had done, and therefore it is the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy, as well as the fact that the Haftorah, the uh, segment from the prophets that is read as the additional reading for Shabbat this week, is taken from Isaiah. And it's all about Chazon Yeshayahu, the vision of Isaiah. What did Isaiah see? He saw sad stuff, bad stuff. He saw destruction. He saw negative things. But what are we supposed to see? And why is this Shabbos called Shabbat Chazon, the Shabbos of vision? We'll be back to explain a little bit more right after this. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So welcome back. Yes, um, a father once prepared a beautiful suit of clothes for his son. But the child neglected his father's gift, and soon the suit was in tatters. The father gave the child a second suit of clothes. and This one, too, was ruined by the child's carelessness. So the father made a third suit. This time, however, he withholds it from his son. Every once in a while, in a special and opportune time, he shows the suit to the child, explaining that when the child learns to appreciate and properly care for the gift, it will be given to him. This includes the child, or rather, this induces the child to improve his behavior until it gradually becomes second nature to him, at which time he will be worthy of his father's gift. This all is a parable from the great sage, Reb Levi Yitzhak of Mardichev, describing actually what this coming Shabbat is all about. Because as we mentioned before the break, it is known as Shabbat Chazon. Chazon meaning 
vision. While we're talking about the vision of Isaiah, we're talking about a Shabbat of vision. Now, we all like to have or think that we have vision. We all think that we have the vision to be able to see things that may come about in the future. We all like to believe and love to have insight and think about all of these things have got to do with sight, with vision, with a view that is something that is uh, leaves an indelible impression in our minds. You know, there's a vast, vast different difference between seeing something and hearing something. We all know that uh, there is something called hearsay. When we hear something that may have happened, that may not have happened, we think we know that it happened, but hearing is not necessarily believing, but seeing is believing. When we see something, it makes that impression. We become what is known as the classics as an eyewitness, and we have seen and it's now embedded within us in a way that it cannot be removed. We know what we saw. We know what it was. We have seen something. And Reb Levi Yitzchak of Badichev tells us that on this Shabbat, we are gifted with a real vision. Our souls are gifted, once again, with a real vision of the Beit HaMikdash. We're given a vision, a real view of the temple in Jerusalem. And it's there in a way that's indelible. That is irremovable. It's irrevocable. It cannot be taken away from us. It's not just hearing about the temple. It's not just having the temple, the Beit HaMikdash, and its influence there in a way whereby it is extraneous to us. And much like Moshe Rabbeinu had to give the nation, the Jewish people who were going to occupy Israel, a vision of the Torah and a vision of godliness and he had to reinvigorate them with everything that they needed to know about occupying Israel so we every Shabbat Chazon are shown a vision of the Beit HaMikdash it is like that suit of clothing that is told shown to us in a way whereby we know that we've got to do something to deserve it that we have unfortunately led to the destruction in our past history of the first temple and unfortunately to that of the second. But the third one is shown to us on Shabbat Chazon and we have this vision of what we can achieve, what we need to achieve and what we're going to achieve, what we're going to reach. It's embedded within this very time of mourning, the hope and the prayers for the future. Be back with you to sum up right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So many people are talking about all the lessons that they've learned from lockdown, all the lessons that we've learned from this pandemic, from COVID-19, from coronavirus and so on. And of course, there are so many of them on so many different levels. We've perhaps learned um, things that have made us more fearful. But what we've really learned is how there are so many things that are of paramount importance to us and that during the uh, years that were invigorated by a a desire to run after everything that we could have and that we couldn't have, that we should have and we shouldn't have had in um, the time before this coronavirus, we perhaps neglected the most important things in our lives. And perhaps that's been one of the things that we've learnt during this lockdown. But 
just the fact that we've learned stuff, just the fact that we've grown, just the fact that we have seen what is being called the silver lining within um, the difficulties, within the problems, within <coughs> the uh, disruptive time that we have been through, has been for us a an invigoration and a an inspiration. It has lifted our spirits because there is so much that we can be grateful for and so much that we can grow with. And it's very, very similar, I think, when we come to these three weeks and when we come to these nine days and we come to this time that is known as a time of mourning. Mourning itself is not ever an end in itself in Judaism. The idea is to take a look at this difficult time and think about where we went wrong, what it's all about, what we need to think about. And I think that this coming Shabbat is a fantastic example of just that. It is the Shabbat of vision, where once again, we have the vision given to us of the third Beit HaMikdash, or the temple as it will be when Mashiach comes. There is never a time where we are more ready, where there is a stronger push, where there is a stronger commitment than now to everything that the temple, the Beit HaMikdash, and everything that it stood for um, it, it is prevalent in our lives. There is never a time when there is a stronger possibility for Mashiach to come than right now. And so it's at this time that we really need to focus ourselves, and it's a pointed word, that idea of focusing, because that's, again, also about vision, to focus on the good things that we can do, to focus on the good lessons that we can learn, and to focus on not just the mourning and the sadness, because that was never part of uh, Jewish thinking, that we just mourn and have this open-ended period of mourning and of sadness uh, where there is nothing productive that can can come from it. We've got to make the productivity. We've got to make the effort to see that Beit HaMikdash in all its glory, and we've got to make the effort to yearn for it and to make sure that all the reasons for its destruction, whether it was idol worship, whether it was a lack of love for each other, whether it was a lack of commitment on our part to all the things that are important to us, we need to reinvigorate all of those things and make sure that come this Shabbat, it is not only in the form of a kind of a mystical uh, faraway vision that with which we see the Beit HaMikdash, with which we see the temple, but that, please God, we will see it in all its glory, in actual reality. And please, God, that will happen immediately with the advent, with the coming of Mashiach. I want to wish you a great rest of the week, a great Shabbat up ahead. And can I say a great nine days, nine days in which we don't only mourn, but we actually look forward to the coming of Mashiach, the rebuilding of the temple. May it happen speedily in our time. Have a great rest of the week, great Shabbat up ahead. Look forward to being back with you again on Judaism 101.9.